Amen. God has been good to us. You know, make no mistake about it. The fact that we are sitting in this room jammed in here on the last Sunday of this year is nothing but a miracle. It's sheer grace that you woke up this morning, that you woke up yesterday and the day before and back to January 1. It is a miracle that you woke up. And so we talk about giving God praise. In fact, the song doesn't even just say giving him praise. It talks about total praise. That means not just your mouth, but, and not just your hands, but your life ought to give God praise. Can we give God praise one more time in this room? Amen. Well, I really am thankful for another day that the Lord has given us. I woke up this morning and couldn't help myself. I was thinking about Lamentations 3.23, great is your faithfulness. One of the things I love about the faithfulness of our God is, you know, he's not just faithful uh, to us, but he's faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to him. I know there's a group in here that says I, 365 days of the year, I messed up a few of those days. God still remained faithful to you. And that, that's what I love about our God is that his grace always supersedes our, our foolishness and uh, our mistakes. And he covers us and he cares for us and he loves us. And it sums up in Lamentations 3 where it says great is his faithfulness. Well, I'm excited to be here today. Won't you grab your Bibles? Meet me in uh, Psalm chapter 18. Excited to preach today. I see Valerie and Chris are here. The newlyweds. Wave your hand, newlyweds. Y'all, just, y'all look different. Man, I love marriage. Love marriage. Love seeing uh, young people get together and, uh, and get married. So, Listen, before we dig into the word of God, you can get there, uh, Psalm 18. Before we dig in, um, let me quickly reiterate what Gabe had had already announced, which is our solemn assembly. I know for some of you that doesn't make sense, but solemn assembly is a fast. If if, if you have a seat next to you, if you could just raise your hand. I know there's not a lot. There's a couple of seats, so let's let's try to get some of them filled up. Um, Solemn assembly is our our week-long fast, the first full week of the year, we try to dedicate it to the Lord. And so we do that by doing a corporate fast. And uh, January 7th starts our fast, which is a Monday. We're going to fast all the way to January 11th. We are doing more than just food, uh, at least fasting from food. We're also uh, trying to shut off anything that distracts us us from getting with the Lord. And so uh, social media, we're trying to turn off um, binge watching, we're trying to turn off. I'm in the middle of a, of a show right now and I'm trying to finish it real quick because <laughs> January, January 7th, I'm going to shut it down. But anything that distracts us, we want to kind of remove out of our way and really replace that time with prayer and devotion to the Lord. Uh, I said it last week, but I'll do it really quickly again. Please make sure you grab one of these hospitalities at the door. Raise your hand, hospitality. They have these on your way out if you don't have one. Uh, just a, a way for you to kind of understand what is a fast, what is a solemn assembly. Some of you are like, what is that? That comes straight from scripture, Joel chapter 1, verse 14. Call the elders, call the assemblies, and let's call a fast. And so we'll talk a little bit, this talks a little bit about that. And also answer some questions, there's some devotional and spiritual guide for you in terms of scripture. But let me just quickly go over the schedule before I jump into the word. Uh, on Monday, we'll start our fast again. This is January 7th. At Monday, 6 a.m. starts the fast. Uh, and so we'll do that together in this room. I'm hoping that we, it could look like, what would it look like for us to come in here at 6 a.m. and see this? Everybody on our knees praying. I know some of you can't 
make that because of work. But if you can rearrange your schedule for January 7th to be here at 6 o'clock, I promise you it's 6 to 7. If you can come from 6 to 6.30 and just pray with us or, uh, you know, see if you can make it all the way to 6 to 7, it'll be a good time for us to kick off our fast together. And then Tuesday, we'll have a conference call. There is a number on here. By the way, this is on the app and it's on the website as well. So you can look at this number that's on here. There's a code for you to call in and we'll do 7 p.m. We'll do a, uh, a prayer, a corporate prayer via conference call. And then Wednesday, we'll meet in small groups. Uh, wherever the small groups are, we do have a list of where they are. We'll meet in our small groups and we'll break bread together and we'll break the fast that day together. And then Thursday, we will meet with all of your DNA partners. If you have a DNA partner, discipleship, nurture, accountability, uh, or if you just have friends that you're connected to, uh, that are fasting, we, we want you guys, we encourage you guys to get together that night. Uh, and if you don't, uh, Timmy came up with a really good idea, and that is to, if you don't have DNA or you really don't know that many people here, uh, we have two cafes that we'll, that we'll be meeting at. So uh, Sumner Cafe here, and the other one is Grape Annex uh, down on Fulton Street, uh, further downtown. Uh, those are the only two places we want you guys to get together. Uh, the snacks and coffee is on you. Uh, <laughs> we're not paying for that. Uh, but we want you to get together. We want you to, you know, try to break that day together and pray and um, try to encourage one another. And then Friday, by the way, we'll have two contacts there. So it'll be somebody that kind of lead that time together. And then Friday, we'll break the fast together here. We're meeting at six o'clock. Uh, six o'clock will be uh, dinner will be served. And because we're breaking a fast, we're going to have good food. Amen. We're just not going to have no finger foods. Y'all know we do it up with the food. So we're going to have good food here at 6 o'clock from 6 to 7. And then 7 on the dot, we'll go into uh, what we call testimony service. And you really just testify about the goodness of the Lord. Anybody grew up old school churchy and you just went to testimony service? Amen. So we'll, we'll have a testimony service. We'll literally have the mic open for you to come up and talk about the goodness of the Lord and even what you're hoping for and praying for in the new year. Amen. As they say, govern yourselves accordingly. All right, let's get into the word of God. Psalm 18. Quick disclaimer, we're going to be in two verses, but we're not just going to be in verse one and verse two. I think it's really important today for us to read the title verse. And so uh, if you have... um, I hope you have a title verse above the, the text in your, your passage or your phone. So let's start at verse zero. Um, it says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, verse one, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. Underline that one. My stronghold. I want to preach this afternoon from the topic, two-word topic, based out of verse 2, my God. Let's look to the Lord. Uh, Father, I simply want to pray over our church, Psalm 119, verse 18, which says, Open our eyes that we may behold the wondrous things out of your law. Would you speak to us today out of your text? In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. My God, uh, earlier this week I was praying about our time together. I take serious our times together uh, in terms of the scriptures and uh, preaching to you. I, I take that very, very serious. 
In fact, there's a day or uh, Tuesday I block it off. I don't, I don't do meetings and unless there's an emergency. Uh, that day is devoted to the Lord. Uh, it's devoted to spending time with the Lord, getting in the word, uh, and really doing some, some research on the text because I take serious this time that we have together. And earlier this week, I was praying about what I wanted to uh, talk to you guys about on our last Sunday of the year. And uh, I had a little anxiety because I'm like, man, you know, this, how do we sum up the entire year? What, what verse can really speak to us uh, to end this year and to push us into 2019 well? And I don't know why, man. I kept hearing the Lord say, go to the book of Psalms. Go to the book of Psalms. So when I was going to the book of Psalms and looking for some places to spend time talking today, I was in places like Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my God and my refuge in whom I trust. But I was unconvinced that that's what the Lord was leading us today. Kept searching and looking around. I looked at Psalms 27. One thing that I've desired of the Lord that I might seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all of my life and behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his holy temple. Sounds good, but I just wasn't convinced that that's where the Lord was leading us. And I looked at another place. I looked at Psalm 121. This one will preach. I look to the hills from which cometh my help, for my help cometh from the Lord. But I was unconvinced. That that's where the Lord was leading us. And finally, I stumbled upon Psalms 28. And it's actually a place, uh, Psalms 18. It's actually a place that I was at earlier in the year because I, I don't know how you do your Bible, uh, but I mark up my Bible. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I try to do a building commentary. And so if the text is, uh, if the text is mentioned somewhere else, I want to write that down. And so I can look at the text and immediately know where to go. I write notes in my Bible. Sometimes I circle words, I draw lines out to the margin, I literally write facts or wow or crazy or he's a fool. I just write some of the craziest. I don't know how you do. My, my, I had a professor one time that said, never mark in your Bible because you'll get confused with your writing and the Lord's writing. And I, I just never get confused. I, if I call somebody a fool, I know it's me. And I, I know when the Lord calls somebody a fool. And, and so I, I mark up my Bible and I saw Psalm 18 was marked up, and I said, man, what was the Lord saying here? And I went back into it, and I could not get past verse 2. I read verse 1. I read the title. I read verse 1. I read verse 2, and I was stuck. And I, I don't know how to explain it besides it felt like a warm blanket on a cold day. It just felt like this is where the Lord was leading. Uh, Psalm 18 is very unique. It's very unique. Psalm 18, out of all the Psalms, there's 150 Psalms. Out of all of them, if you look at the length of Psalm 18, there's 50 verses here. It is the fourth longest psalm out of all of the psalms, only to be rivaled by Psalm 78, Psalm 89, and Psalm... Somebody's spiritual in here. <laughs> psalm 119 is the longest psalm. If you start in devotion on January 1, you will probably end it two years later. It is just a long psalm. And, and, and so, uh, but when I read this passage, I couldn't get past the first two verses, but I realized there's a lot more that is said in Psalm 18. It is very unique. But to be consistent, it's not only lengthy in terms of verses. The title in and of itself is a lengthy title. In fact, it's the second longest title in all the Psalms. There's only to be rivaled by Psalm 60. I'm trying to give you a little bit of Bible study because y'all know how it is. Y'all don't come to Bible study, so I got to bring Bible study to you. So this morning's a little, that was shade. That was shade. It's the last end of the year. I can do that. 
And so, and so Psalms chapter 18 is unique because, yes, it's the fourth longest psalm, but it also has the second longest title. Now, I know you're sitting there like, well, Pastor, why would you even read the title? It's not authoritative. It's not God-breathed. Verse 1 is, is God-breathed. Uh, but there's a couple of things that I want to share with you. Number one, it's interesting because this title that we just read is actually found in another part of Scripture. Write this down. If you read Psalm, uh, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 is actually the title of what we just read. So in other words, this is authoritative. And, and not only that, when, when I went to Israel, they took us to the Dead Sea, and uh, I, I got to swim in the Dead Sea. You don't want to stay in there long. It's extremely salty. It's like 10 times saltier than any other ocean. Uh, you literally cannot drown. I was like, because of the minerals and the salt, you just like literally bob like a cork in the middle of the ocean. And uh, I'm sitting there in, the, in, this, in this sea, and then came, we came out onto the shore, and they said, man, you see up there into those caves, into the mountains? Those are the caves that they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the 20th century. And when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of the things they found was that many of the Psalms had the inscriptions and the title verses as originals to the first century. So, so in other words, I'm not saying every title verse is authoritative. I'm saying this one is. So it's very important for us to understand that. And so we'll spend some time working through, just a little bit of time working through the title, because the title, even if it's not authoritative, can we agree? It brings clarity on the passage. So what does this title verse say? It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David. So we know David wrote it. But watch how, watch how David describes himself, a servant of the Lord. That is interesting to me because I would think that this would, even if David didn't write it, I would think that they would describe him as David, king of Israel. But they don't. He doesn't lead with his title. He calls him David, a servant of the Lord. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we got to the place where we were less concerned about position and title and occupation and cared more about being known as the servant of the Lord. Because, by the way, when you stand before the Lord, like he's not calling you based on your degree. He's not saying, Dr. So-and-so, I'm glad you're here. We got some sick people. We, he's not doing that. He's not calling you professor so-and-so. He, he's not calling you bishop. He's not calling you pastor. He wants to know, did you serve his son? Were you a servant? And so David here does not describe himself as the king of Israel, which would have been appropriate. He prioritizes and sees himself as a servant of the Lord. That's number one. The second thing that we get to learn about the title verse is who he's talking to. It says, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. Look at what it says here. Who addressed these words, the words of this song to the Lord. So in other words, he's not writing to his servants He's not writing to his concubines. He's not writing, writing to his wives. He's not writing to his sons and his daughters. He's addressing Psalm 18 directly to the Lord. He's talking to him. He's not telling anybody else what they should do. He's telling us exactly how he feels about the Lord. Now, that's important, and we'll see why when we get to the first few words of verse number one. Number three, last thing, is we get let in on the occasion of why he wrote this psalm. Look at what it says here. It says, the Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord who addressed these words 
who addressed these words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So here's what we know. David wrote this psalm because God delivered him out of the hand of his enemies and he delivered him out of one of his adversaries called Saul. Now, why is that important? Because I just told you that this chapter, Psalm 18, is actually an actual duplicate of 2 Samuel 22. Now, the only difference is in Psalm 18, David writes this as a young king. But in 2 Samuel 22, he writes it as an old man ready to die. Now, now, don't miss this. David is basically saying that when I first became king, the Lord was faithful to rescue me from my enemies. But he didn't leave me later on in life. Even now, I'm an old man. In 2 Samuel 22, the Lord remains faithful to rescue me from my enemies. Now, this is good because many of you started out this year thinking that the Lord was faithful. You think that his faithfulness fell off. I was very intentional at quoting to you Lamentations 3.23. Why great is thy faithfulness? Because God's faithfulness remains faithful all year long. David is sitting there like, listen, God is faithful to me when I first get into the kingship, but he remains faithful. Even now I'm about to die. Second Samuel 22. See, when you read the scripture, you can't just read them. If you if you read it somewhere else, you got to know when it was written. You got to know dates. You got to know timelines. Why? Because we get to see God's faithfulness over. See, and what I loved about David writing this twice, as many commentators will say, it was only recorded twice. But David probably was very repetitive in saying this psalm over and over again. So over and over again in David's life, he was like, God is faithful to rescue me. God is faithful to deliver me out of the hand of my enemies. Now, the only difference between Psalm 18 and 2 Samuel 22, the only difference is the first verse. Look at the first verse of Psalm 18. Look how he opens up. First five words. I love you, O Lord. He opens the passage this morning by expressing his affections and love for the Lord. It would have been appropriate if David opened it and said, I believe in you, O Lord. That would have been appropriate, but that ain't what he said. It would have been nice if he said, I read about you, but that's not what he says. It would have been nice if he said, I obey you, O Lord, but that's not what he says. He goes to something deeper, not external, but something deeper. He goes to his own affections and says, I love you, O Lord. Is that your testimony in here? Can you can you say that you love the Lord? Notice that this is a present testimony. He's not thinking back. He doesn't say, I used to love you. He's not looking forward at a future time when he will love him, when the Lord brings him out of a certain situation. It's a present reality for him. I love you now. See, what we do is we only love the Lord when he's promising us blessings. You only love him when he's promising you favor and open doors and you love him when you get that job. But do you love him when you get fired? Do you love him at all times? See, David is like, listen, whether I'm keeping the sheep or I'm guarding the borders of Israel, I love the Lord. And circumstances don't sway my love for the Lord. Is that your testimony? Can you say that circumstances don't sway your love for the Lord? He's not even telling us. He's not saying that you should love him. That would have been appropriate, but that's not what he's doing. Again, this is a personal testimony. I love the Lord. And he says, I love you, oh Lord. And the question I have is, well, why do you love him so much? He spends the rest of the next two verses explaining why he loves him so much. Here's how he says, he says, I love you, O Lord. Why? Because you are 
my strength. It's a good word for somebody that God is David's strength and therefore he's our strength. And can we agree if David says God is my strength, can we agree that David is acknowledging outside of God he's weak? See, this morning I got up early this morning and I was praying about our time together. And one of the things I kept sensing was that I'm not coming today to preach to strong people. I'm coming today to talk to somebody that's weak, that's depleted, that's ready to give up. All of 2018, he's been your strength. All of 2018, he's been the one that has been providing strength for you. There were so many times where I wanted to give up. Is anybody else in here with me? Times where I was ready to throw my hands up. I was ready to quit. But then I read this this morning. Somewhere along the line, I gained strength because I realized he was David's strength. And if he's David's strength, he's also my strength. So he he says here, listen, you, you you don't simply just need Uh, vacation, you need strength. Don't miss this. You don't simply need counseling. You need strength. You, you, don't, you don't just need to, to, to uh, have somebody to be in your corner. Like, don't, you need vacations. Please take that. Take me with you. <laughs> take, take vacations, get counseling, get people in your corner. But if you have all of that stuff, you still can be weak if you don't have God as your strength. So David says here, He's my strength, but he's not only David's strength. We're just going to work through what God is. He says, I love you, O Lord. You're my strength. But what else are you? He says, the Lord is, is this in your Bibles? My rock. But here's what I love about David. He doesn't just say rock once. He says it twice in verse 2. He says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer and my God. And here it is again, my rock. Why does he say it twice? We got it once. Because many people think that what he is saying is he's describing different ways that God is his rock. You, you do know that the ancient Judean in this time, they would have used rocks for so many different things. Number one, rocks were, were, were large enough that they could provide shade from the merciless heat in Israel. And so when David is saying this, he might be thinking God provides shade as comfort. So God provides comfort for me. Let me put a little Bible there because y'all looking at me funny. Isaiah 32 verse number two says it this way. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind and a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in dry places. Here it is, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. So when he's thinking he's my rock, one of the ways he's probably thinking about God being his rock is that he provides comfort, that he provides shade. Well, what else did a rock do in ancient times? Well, uh, there's one place where Moses in Exodus 32 Moses started feeling himself a little bit. He, he knew that he had a good relationship with the Lord, and, and so he wanted to take, to take advantage of that relationship. And so he went to God one day in Exodus 32 and said, God, show me your face. What does God say? This fool. Can't nobody see me and live? This is what God, like, he, okay, he didn't say fool, but he said, can't nobody see me and live, which is dope because God's glory is so massive, you can't even look at it. Okay, let me go deeper. Angels can't even look at his glory. An angel has to cover their eyes when they get into the presence of the Lord because there's so much glory. But what does God do? After God says, nah, bro, you can't see me and live, the Bible says he puts him in the cleft of a what? Of a rock. Why? Because that provided protection. So in other words, he's not only my comfort on a hot day in shady areas, he's also my protection because the rock that Moses got in brought protection. 
So David is probably thinking, my, like when he's like, you're my rock, you're, you're my comfort, but you're, you're also my, my protection. You put me in the cleft of a rock. But what else does a rock do in ancient times? Well, a rock provided a firm place to stand on when you were in battle, opposed to sinking sand, which I don't care how skillful you are. If you're in sinking sand, you're not going to win the battle. But if you got a firm place to plant your feet on, you probably can win the, bi- the, the battle. Let me put more Bible here because you're still looking at me funny. Psalm chapter 40, verse 2. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. Here it is. And set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. All year long, God has been making your steps secure because he has been your rock. So David says, listen, you're my strength, Lord. That's why I love you, because you, you, you give me strength when I'm weak. But what else are you? Lord, you're also my rock, and that means multiple things. And what else are you, Lord? Look at the scripture. I don't want to make this up. It says, Lord is my rock and my fortress. As we're talking about fighting, it doesn't matter that you're on a strong rock. It doesn't matter how skillful you are at fighting. If there's no fortress around you and the attacks can come from any way, even blind spots, you'll go down. Okay, so the last two weeks I've been off. And when I say off, I mean off. I mean, I've been off, relaxing, chilling, reading, trying to catch up, uh, praying, thinking about 2018, also trying to cast vision for 2019, spending time with my wife, uh, spending time with my boys, sleeping in. Let me say that again, sleeping in. I mean, you, you know that good sleep where you wake up, but you just go right back to sleep. It's been one of those type of weeks. I just been chilling, and, and, and so because I've been chilling so much, I, I had so much free time, I wanted to do some brainless activities. I don't know if y'all ever do that, where it's just, you want to do something, I must veg out, and you're not, you're not really using your brain much, and so I downloaded two games on my phone. Well, one of them is a game called Crowd City. If you, don't, if you haven't played that, it's a great game. You kind of start with one person, and you go through, and you touch people, and you grow your crowd, and you know, I'm looking at that from an evangelistic standpoint. <laughs> My wife, like, you're going too deep, babe. Just play the game. I'm like, you're right. I'm on vacation, so I'm just playing. But the second game I downloaded was this game where uh, you got to build an army. And when you built an army, the goal was to overtake other nations and overtake other armies. And you start with a, a, a certain amount of coins. And with those coins, you can either do one or two things. You can invest in the army you have to help them grow and train them and have good food. You can even put trees around the army so that they have uh, emotional stimuli. Uh, But you can take those coins and also build a fortress. Now, I'm foolish in the art of war. And so what I decided to do was I said, I don't need no fortress. I'm just going to invest in the army. And so I invested in the army. I provided good meals for them, good training, good archery, and I had them all ready for battle. And it was good. We were overtaking all types of different armies until one day an army that was even smaller than mine. I don't know why I'm preaching the app I play. (laughs) An army even smaller than mine decided to attack us from two different ways. Now, I wasn't ready. Now, afterwards, they help you to debrief. What did you do wrong? When I read the debrief, it said, it didn't matter that you invested in the army, you had no fortress, which means you had no protection. So when I read this earlier this week, I rejoiced because I realized God isn't only my rock, that's him investing in me, but he's also my fortress. He's my protection. He stops the enemy from throwing darts at me from ways that I don't see. And that's what I love. You know, the old saints would say, he kept me from danger seeing 
See, somebody know their grandmother talked to you a little bit. God has kept, God has been our fortress even when you didn't know he was your fortress. Some of y'all will never know the stuff that he kept you from. You'll never know the accidents that were down the road that he stopped you from. You'll never know when you said, I don't know why I don't need to walk down that street today. You don't know what was waiting for you at the other end of it. But what I do know is that we have a fortress. And David knew this. David realized this. He's like, God, you're my strength. God, you're my rock. Multiple meanings. But also, Lord, you are my fortress. Well, what else is he? This don't make you worship the Lord. I don't know what will. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. Here it is. And my deliverer. Like, understand what David is saying. For him to say you're my deliverer means that David understood you only delivered when you are coming out of bondage of some sort. When Egypt got delivered, when, when uh, the Israelites got delivered from Egypt, they were in bondage. But they would, God delivered them out. But when he delivered them out of Egypt, he didn't deliver them for them to wander forever. Yeah, they wandered 40 years, but he had a point for them to go from one place to another. And that's what deliverance is. Deliverance is never you just stopping. Deliverance is from you going from one place, deconstructing one mindset and going to another place and reconstructing it with the gospel. You know, earlier uh, this week, I, I ordered some stuff. And because it's the holidays, you know, tracking, I had to track my package because, you know, the, the shipping was all over the place. And when I was tracking it, it showed me that it left the warehouse, but it kept saying in progress. Now, it wasn't delivered. It was in progress. It was out of the warehouse, which means it wasn't in bondage of that warehouse anymore. It was making its way to its final destination. But listen to me. When it was supposed to be delivered, Ty and I had some errands to run, so I wasn't home. So I was texting the boys going, boys, you got to be home. you got to be home. you got to answer the door. you got to answer the door. And finally, they texted me and said, the package has arrived. We got it. But I wanted to make sure it was the right package because Ty be ordering ASOS all the time. And, and so them black and white packages, those things are the devil, man, I'm telling you. And so I had to track the package to make sure it was the right package. So I looked on my phone, I refreshed the screen, and finally it moved from in progress to delivered. It's only delivered when it goes from one place to another. It is not delivered when it goes from one place and roams around. So, so David here realizing that God, like, I know he would have thought about Israel being delivered out of Egypt. And some of you in here, you came in here in bondage. Some of you, all 2018, you've been in bondage on top of bondage. And let me, even if you're not in bondage now, some of you are thinking about it. You're lusting after bondage. You don't know it's bondage. But here, here's what I, when I read this, I understand that God is my great deliverer. Me stopping isn't my deliverance. God is my deliverance. I feel a little charismatic this morning. Won't you just look at your name and say, God is my deliverance. God is the one that delivers me out. He's the one that brings me out of bondage. And I don't know what sin it is. Maybe it's a, a, addiction to drugs. Maybe it's addiction to porn. Maybe it's addiction to that unhealthy relationship. Because you know you can be addicted like, to some nice abs. You can, you can be addicted to lips and hips. You can be delivered. You can, God can bring you out of that stuff. Unhealthy relationships. Feel something over here. Listen, God can deliver you out of it. And the crazy part, the crazy part is some of you know, like as I'm talking, you know exactly the relationship I'm talking about. 
Like you, like you trying to hide it. Like, let me delete these texts real quick. No, God got you this morning. And what I love about him is he doesn't want to punish you. He wants to bring you out of that bondage and bring you into a new place. And 2019 is a great place to start. Okay, what else is he? He's my strength. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. This is, I can see why David is like, man, I love you. He's my God, my rock, and whom I take refuge. Look, look at the, the B part of verse number two. He's my shield. He's the one that blocks the enemy's darts. He, he's the one that, that stops the enemy from, it's almost like the fortress. But, but if you think about what a shield does in battle, a shield, yes, it can be used for offense, but it's really used for defense. Stops the enemy from attacking you. And one of the things I know about your enemy, your enemy is not your haters. Your enemy, you think that's your greatest enemy. You think that Facebook post is really your greatest. That's not your greatest. That subliminal message, that ain't your greatest enemy. Your greatest enemy is always the devil. I said it all year long, and I should say it again on this last Sunday. Spiritual warfare is real. Do not underestimate spiritual work. Don't underestimate the attacks from the enemy because he doesn't want to mess with you. He wants to destroy you. Let me, let me put some Bible here on spiritual warfare. Second Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not a flesh or a, a carnal, but are divine and destroying strongholds. Second Peter chapter five, uh, first Peter chapter five, be self-controlled and alert. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he will devour. Not mess up. Devour. Okay, one more. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Often quote this one. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Spiritual warfare is real. And all year long in 2018, the enemy has been trying to get to you. He's been trying. And going into 2019, he don't take a break. He's still trying to get to you. But that's the funny thing. He don't take a break, but we do. We take a break from our devotional life. We take a break from praying. Yet the enemy is after. Did you read 1 Peter 5? He's after you to, like a roaring lion. If a lion was let out right now in bed you wouldn't be roaming the streets going, where can I go? Where should I? You'd be in the house afraid. But yet the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion in our spiritual life. We leave wide open. But when I read this, I'm like, okay, God, you're my shield. You, you stop the enemy's attacks. And even when I was reading this this morning, I realized that the attacks from the enemy don't be selfish. It's not just against you. But parents, hear me. There's an attack on your child. I, I heard it this morning. Like There is an attack on on your babies and the shield that you need is not just for you you need God to be a shield against your child you need to be praying for your Lord be a fortress for them be a shelter oh their spouses in the future be a shelter and a protection for them why because the enemy wants to snuff them out too every the babies in the infant room the enemy is not happy that they're being raised in a house where Jesus is being proclaimed so what do we need we need God to be a shield for our family. We need God to be a shield for us, but we need God to be a shield for our children as well. Let's keep going here. For the sake of time, we, we got to camp out in this last one. It says, it says, my God, my rock, I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of 
my salvation. When I, when I first read that, I'm like, well, what, is that? what does that actually mean? A horn of my salvation. Then I went to the New Testament. New Testament is always the greatest commentary for the old, always. Because the New Testament explains how Jesus really unpacks the Old Testament. And so when I read the horn of my salvation, I'm like, is that talking about Christ? When I read the New Testament, this is what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 68 and 69. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up, here it is, Jesus, a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. In other words, Psalm 18, verse 2, horn of salvation is pointing us towards Jesus. I know you like, Pastor, you, you're just saying that because you, you got to go to Jesus at the end of every sermon. In fact, somebody asked me that a couple weeks ago. They said, Pastor, why, why do you end every sermon talking about Jesus? Because a sermon is not complete without him. Like, you don't understand that. Don't listen. In 2019, you have no time for gospelless sermons. You have no time for sermons that don't find their fulfillment in the work of Christ. So when I read Horn of Salvation, I ain't got to work hard. I read it and, like, and I'm like, oh, it's pointing me to Christ. And this is what Paul would have done when he preaches. He says, him we proclaim. Like, you know how dope that is? That in, in other words, all I do is proclaim Christ. And it's not hard to do that. I know why you're not more excited because you don't know who the him I'm talking about. I'm talking about him, Jesus, the one that is co-equal and co-heir and co-eternal with God the Father. I'm talking about him, the, the one who created and sustains all of life. I'm talking about him, Jesus Christ, the one who lives on this earth a perfect, impeccable life without any spots, without any wrinkles. I'm talking about him, the one who goes to a cross and takes your filthy sin and washes it completely away. I'm, I'm talking about him, the one who dies, but he's so dope. In three days, he gets up with all power in his hand. I'm talking about him, the one who after he dies, he ascends into the heavens and right now is sitting at the right hand of the father making intercession for you. Do you know what that means? Like right now, this week, when you didn't pray all week, Jesus is on the right hand of the father praying and pleading for you. I'm talking about him, the one who will come back. And if I got my eschatology right, he can come back before I finish this sermon. Jesus Christ, him, the horn of salvation. The one that brings you salvation. There is no salvation outside of him. The reason why we proclaim him week in and week out, because there is no hope outside of him. The baby in the manger, last week that you were celebrating and opening up gifts, he fulfilled Psalm 18 because he is the horn of our salvation. What has God delivered you out of in 2018? Or it's 2013, as Timmy said. <laughs> what is God? What? What? What do you still believe in God to bring you out of? What do you like the whole passage is on how God delivers him, David, from his enemies. What is God rescuing you from? Or have you reflected and thought about that in 2018? Or have you thought about what he's going to bring you out of that you don't even know you're going to get tangled up in next year? I know it's going to be the best year of your life. 2019, we getting that green. I get it. I understand all the quotes. But let's be real. You're going to have some hell in 2019, and you're going to need somebody to rescue you and bring you out. And when I read this, I'm like, oh, okay, I know who my, my, I know who my, my redeemer and my rescuer is. This is why David opens up and says, I love you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Somebody in here came in today in bondage, came in here and 
Maybe you didn't know you needed rescuing. Maybe you didn't know that you needed a horn of salvation. But I, I promise you that there is one who can bring you out. Why? Because David says it not once, but he says it again later. God rescues me. God rescues me. God saves me. And because of that, I love him. Maybe you're in here and you need to grow in your affections for the Lord. Maybe you're serving and, and you've confused serving in ministry with loving the Lord. We all do it. You, you confused working for the Lord as though it actually means you love him. Listen to me. You can work for the Lord and not love him. You, you, you can sing and not love him. You can worship and, and go through the motions and not love him. But do you really love him? Father, I pray for everybody in this room, every young man, every young lady, even as we talked about dysfunctional relationships. Lord, I pray that you would start to break the, the attachments of unhealthy relationships. What addictions is in the room? I pray that you would start to break the addictions that are in the room. Lord, I pray that somebody in here really would love you more today than we did yesterday. And love, Lord, let, help love for us to be an action. Let it not just be a, a word we say, but let it actually be the pattern of our life. Because love means sacrifice. Love means obedience. So, Father, I pray that you would help us as we go into the new year. Let us not go in the same way. Let us go in genuinely seeking and loving you. Put accountability around us. Put people around us that can ask us, are you really loving the Lord? Are you going through the motions? People around us that can question us and call us out on those unhealthy attachments. Father, break us free today. We need you to break us free. We don't want to go into 2019 with this bondage. We don't want to go into it with the same patterns of 2018. Father, bring us out. I love this verse because it tells us that you can. You're not weak. You don't, you're not sitting in heaven going, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. But if you're our strength, that means we're weak and we know it and we need you. Make us God needy for your glory, for your honor, for the praise of your son, Jesus Christ. Let everybody say amen.